Good evening. I'm a very small person, so forgive the movement of the microphone. In the next week, we will move into both national and religious observances, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, and Advent. Tonight, we are gathered to celebrate the first of those, Thanksgiving. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to feel thankful, even, and perhaps especially, when it's expected of me. These last two years have been challenging ones, and though we have seen some positive shifts, we are by no means at the end of this pandemic. Yet our national holiday of gratitude was born and grew out of hard times too. The lore of the first Thanksgiving is that it took place after nearly half the pilgrims had died in a rough winter. Thanksgiving became a national holiday in 1863 in the middle of the Civil War and was moved to its current date in the 1930s following the Great Depression. Historically then, Thanksgiving has been celebrated in times I dare say were harder than these. That context is one I find helpful as I journey through the beginnings of this holiday season and with this text tonight. We've reached the season wherein people turn to the months that have passed and consider the year they have lived. This is complicated, of course, by the fact that time has seemed filmier and gauzier and less solid and sturdy than ever before. Even so, during the holidays, many of us come to the closing of the calendar year with mixed emotions, longing for things that have not yet come to pass, satisfaction for those that have, and dreaming of what may yet come into our lives. For this reason, the book of Joel has a particular resonance, perhaps this year especially. Joel is one of the few prophetic books not to offer context clues about its writing, making it a truly timeless text. It is not clear whether the locusts that you heard Sherry read of were a real plague or an encroaching army. But either way, the prophet looks around and sees utter desolation around him. Either way, this text presents us with a prophet who is standing in the rubble of his country, speaking to the earth and its inhabitants, and singing a song of hope in a hopeless place. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. In the first chapter of Joel, the prophet warns of a plague of locusts that will decimate the livestock and devastate the crops. This calamity is called the Day of the Lord, which is a sort of reverse creation event. It will turn once what was once like Eden into a barren wasteland. On this day, the judgment of the Holy One will be visible. But unlike other prophets, Joel does not lay a specific charge against the people for which they need to repent. The Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney writes, More importantly, they are not blamed for the catastrophe they have just experienced. Unlike some contemporary television evangelists, the prophet does not blame the people for their own suffering and does not claim that natural catastrophes are divine punishment. Earlier in chapter 2, the prophet calls the people to rededicate themselves to the Lord, famously saying, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And God relents from sending calamity. Who knows? 
God may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Joel wants the people to return to God to remember their Redeemer, even in the midst of great suffering and loss. Make no mistake, this dedication is not in hopes of buying God off, wherein the people get what they want if they follow the rules exactly. Faith is not meant to be transactional or prosperity-based. We should worship God because God is worthy of worship not as a means of getting something for ourselves. But Joel's words remind us of the kind of deity in whom Israel could place its trust, a God who is gracious, compassionate, abiding, and abounding. This was and is a foundational understanding of the Holy One for God's chosen people. Now we have come to tonight's text. It begins, Do not fear, O soil, be glad and rejoice. For the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, you animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. The prophet speaks to the ground beneath his feet, telling the very earth to rejoice. He speaks to the livestock, telling them their groaning bellies shall be fed. He continues, O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain, as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vet shall overflow with wine and oil. Not only should the earth be glad, not only should the animals rejoice, but also the people of God, the children of Zion, shall be vindicated. They shall have gentle spring rains and refreshing autumn ones. They shall have grain and wine and oil in abundance, meeting all their needs for food and drink. The prophet speaks for the Lord, ensuring the people people know that God knows what they are facing and is, in fact, there with them in their pain. God says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Of all of Joel's book, these verses are the ones I find most lovely. God does not deny the people's pain. God does not sit far off. God is always already present for the people. Even though they are in struggle, even though there is not enough to go around, even though they feel alone, the Holy One promises that even in that place, I am the Lord, I am your God, there is no other. This means, of course, that God is not punishing the people by withdrawing from their presence. Even in this hard place, they may experience the nearness of the Holy One. Perhaps this is the most important part of the text for us to remember in these days. Even when death surrounds us, even when our hearts are rent, there remains a space for joy where there remains space for God. I'm not talking about spiritual bypassing or toxic positivity. 
I'm not asking us to pretend that there is only good in the world or that because God is good, the rest doesn't matter. Rather, I'm talking about the simultaneity of human emotion that we may by turns feel joyful and anguished and angry. And in all of those experiences, we may know God the creator, God the redeemer, and God the sustainer as present to us and with us. Though this Thanksgiving and last may feel different than others we have known, know that our deliverance is vouchsafed by a God who holds the world. When we struggle to give thanks, trusting in the nature and the goodness of the Holy One is in and of itself a kind of thanksgiving. In these difficult days, we may recall that God has dealt wondrously with us in the past and shall do so again. As Thanksgiving nears, remember the Lord who is a shield around you, your glory and the lifter of your head. Remember the sovereign Lord who is your strength and rejoice in the Lord your God.